And what up, everyone? You're tuning in to the Ethos Grizzly Podcast. This is Isaac Simpson, and of course, my man David Williams is along with me. Um, as we continue our draft coverage tonight with four four prospects, uh, now only a week out from the draft, man, it, it, it's coming fast. Uh, but we're going to break down four four prospects tonight. But before we do that, we have a very special guest joining us. If you followed our draft coverage last season, you heard him on the show, and he's back with us again tonight, man. You can find him on Twitter at NBA Draft Mikey V. He is Mike Weisenberg. Mike, man, how is the Pacific Northwest on this fine Thursday evening? Isaac, the PNW is doing very well. Um, I'm hoping to have a, a little less rain. And uh, all I know is that when I heard 115 degrees, like I can't even <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, things Mike. are going very well here. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, man, we definitely, definitely always enjoy your insight, man. Me and Mike were talking earlier through text. And if you don't know, he's based in Oregon. Uh, but he follows the Grizzlies, man. Of course, we have the connection with Dylan Brooks, man, former Oregon Duck. He's a big-time, big-time Oregon fan and alum. Uh, so he follows the Grizzlies. We were talking, he was like, man, I have on my Oregon, my, my Memphis Grizzlies sweatshirt. And I was like, "That's I love that. Love the fact that he has on a Memphis Grizzlies sweatshirt. But he said sweatshirt. And I'm thinking, man, it's 100 degrees here, 115 index, man. I'm I'm jealous, man. I wish, I wish we were in position to, to wear sweatshirts down here, man. This heat and humidity has been insane down here lately oh bro i'm I'm in new orleans right now and if you walk outside in a sweatshirt you are going to pass <laughs> smooth out like the, the air is, is so thick you can feel it hitting you like you yeah. know the wind's moving you can feel the wind obviously but the, the air is just heavy down here no chance I, I don't want anything related to sweat yeah man i definitely like to, to be in the pacific northwest right now man it's unbearable down here in the summertime. Sounds like we got kind of a break last year. It was bad, but wasn't as bad as it was usually, man. But I think it's going to be full force, man. It's starting early this year, man. Already think 100 tomorrow is the high. I think 101 on Friday. It's it's insane. Uh, but before we, we do anything else, man, uh, what Mike, what have you been up to? Oh, just the usual. Um, I still am doing my thing with Pro Insight and definitely – advise people to go and check out that website um, perspectiveinsight.com and follow at underscore pro insight just a lot of basketball going on uh, got to cover the hoop summit again this year which was fantastic because it had been uh, canceled the last two uh, years and uh, unfortunately missed like some of these top prospects coming up in this draft and two years potentially of Paulo Bancaro playing for the world team since he is going to be playing for Italy uh, moving forward. Yeah. But yeah. It was um, a lot of basketball, man, just watching a lot and uh, going to as much as I can. Um, but yeah, just uh, always following the draft as well. Yeah, man, definitely, definitely check out Mike's work, man. Man, He knows the stuff, man, when it comes to uh, basketball recruiting and, and, and the NBA draft. Um, and, and the draft is coming up, man. We're a week, week out now. Um, and I always – I hate to put labels on drafts. People always talk about this is a great draft. This is a okay draft. This is a bad draft. This draft doesn't have a lot of depth. But when you look at this draft, you look at the top of the draft, you have uh, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, uh, Paella Benchero, uh, Jayton Ivey. I'll even extend that to, to the next couple guys for me is Ke- uh, Keegan Murray and Benedict Mathurin. What do you think about this draft as far as do you think there are franchise players in this draft or or guys that are going to be all-stars? When, when you kind of look at the top of this draft, what are your thoughts on that and just about the depth overall of the draft? Yeah, 
in almost every draft, you're usually going to have three or four all-stars. Um, I think the the main thing that people always look for is like the quote unquote, like franchise player. And I, I'm not sure that anybody in this year's draft is going to necessarily like fill that, but I think there, there are going to be like a lot of really productive players that can help teams. And that's what you're really looking for in any NBA draft. Um, I, I don't think there's been like tons of talk of the top few teams, like moving their pick. Like, I think once it gets to Sacramento, like maybe that's yeah. where it begins, but I think the top three is like more than likely set. Um, it just will depend what order. And I, I think we're getting a, a pretty good idea of what that's going to be. But um, yeah, as far as depth and everything like that, like I, I feel like um, once you get to like five or six on through like, you know, 13 or something, there, there are a lot of different options that can go down there. And um, yeah, even though like, it seems like certain players are, are likely slotted in, in certain spots, like somebody's going to have to fall. And um, yeah, I, I, I know that when I like was going over who the trailblazers might pick it at the seventh spot, like I, I had quite a few names that were possibilities for that. So um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's just quite a bit of depth and quite a bit of uh, players clumped together this year um, that should make for a really interesting draft. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think after that, that, that kind of the top five, six guys that I named, I think, from then on, you can go around from like seven to 20. That there's a big group of guys that you can talk to different people and they'll have different opinions on all these players. And you could see any of these guys kind of fit in anywhere. Um, I, I think this draft is super deep. I think there's a lot of talent all the way up to probably the, the, the top of the second round. I think there's a lot of guys, a lot of guys that I really like, probably more guys that I like this year than in, in, in some past years. Yeah, and it uh, it's already seems like some picks are on the move too. Like uh, um, Houston just traded for the twenty sixth pick. They traded Christian Wood to Dallas. So yeah, it's uh, I I think a lot's going going to go down. And I, I know some teams are already like saying that you know they're maybe interested in moving back or uh, trying to trade for a veteran player with their pick. So yeah, it, it looks like there could be quite a bit of activity as well. Hey, you know, it helps if you unmute your mic. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, a little bit like wait for David there, to chime so. in. <laughs> dang, 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 that yeah, that is all right. I, I can I can take care of that. But so, Michael, what I would like to know, there's a lot of conversation about kind of like the top three or four guys. Not I, I want to know where you're at on it. Like if you had to rank the top four right now, not where you think they're going to get drafted, but as far as overall prospects, what yeah, would that look like? like my personal? You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so personally, I, I, I like Paulo Bencaro. Um, yeah, I, I think that you know, just I, I love the combination of the size, which you know, I there, there were rumors today going around that he's six ten and a half without shoes. I don't think he's that big, yeah, I saw that, but he, he's a good guy. Um, and just his ability to like handle the ball, I think he's a really good passer and has a great court sense as well. And then the thing that I really believe in with him is like, not only did he just get like more reps near the basket than any of the other prospects, but um, I, I like, I really like the mid range game, his ability to create shots for himself. 
And I, I think that he's going to be able to extend his range as well. Um, so yeah, like, and like the most NBA ready body out of anybody coming into the, uh, the league from the draft this year. Um, and then uh, the guy that I would have second is Chet Holmgren. And I, I know that people have concerns about Chet and his <laughs> weight. And uh, Isaac, you have that famous tweet actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, the, the thing, the thing with Chet is, and, and like, I think the concerns, like, to me, Isaac, your tweet was just like pointing out that, like, you know, this is the case. Uh, it wasn't anything malicious. I, I think the concerns are like pretty warranted because the, it's been really rare when you've had a player like of chet's uh weight let's say um but the thing with him that i i really like is one like he was incredibly efficient as a college player um i believe in his shooting i think that he can put the ball on the floor too and like you know also is somebody who has a, a really good court sense his verticality as a shot blocker and timing there is like pretty special i feel and then the other thing with him that I really like is, uh, it, like, he's such a competitor. Uh, anywhere that I've seen him, like, he's just rearing to go. And I, I think he's going to put in the work. And I, I just, the, the, like, even with him weighing 195 pounds in college, in the half court around the basket, he shot 80%. That's crazy. Like, that's really good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I just think that, you know, there are some pretty special instincts with Chet. So I, I have belief in him. And then uh, the third guy I would go with is Jabari Smith Jr. And he's very close. The, the thing that um, makes me have Jabari Smith after the uh, top two guys is, like, we all know that he's a fantastic long-range shooter. Um, I kind of worry about him just around the basket and yeah, uh, I agree. Of like also like using his handle to, to get yeah. to spots. Even though we've seen how easily he can rise up and shoot over people, but like, is he getting necessarily like, you know, the shots that you really want? Um, I don't know. I think he's going to probably like, it could be a case where he is such a good shooter where that doesn't really matter. But I, I'm still kind of worried about that. And also just uh, in terms of like his playmaking and passing ability, I, I think are uh, at least behind, uh, like quite a bit behind Paulo and behind Chet Holmgren as well. Um, he's the youngest of the three. So yeah, he, he certainly like all, I think with all three of them, like their intel and everything is fantastic. And, you know, they all have good size. Chet, the one thing with Chet, I, I will say too, is that like he's legit like seven feet without shoes. Like that guy is super tall, and like he's the longest of anybody uh, out of those top three guys. Um, but yeah, I still think that Jabari Smith Jr. like has all star potential as well. And then uh, I would have Jay Nivey fourth. Um, the guy is a phenomenal athlete. Um, like just in terms of like blow by ability and everything there, the thing that I kind of wonder is if he's somebody that you want, like, you know, to run your team. Yeah. Um, he also has like no like middle game at this point, which is something that I think he's going to have to kind of work on, but yeah, he's kind of like, a either taking 
a shot from three or getting right to the basket. I think he's really good at doing that. But yeah, I, I just kind of worry about, um, you know, if he's not more of a, that secondary um, playmaker at this point and, uh, you know, how, how he's going to work as a, a primary. Um, I know some people throw out the John ja Morant comparisons. I feel like Ja was like on a completely different level as a playmaker and just in terms of his instincts on the game. So, uh, yeah, like I, I think maybe similar in terms of athleticism and Jaden Ivey is like, I think, slightly bigger than Jaw, but I, I just don't think in, in terms of like that ability to get to the basket and like also kick out to teammates and make plays. I, I think Jaw is like far ahead of him in that category. Yeah, I don't think there's there's no question that Banchero is going to be able to score at the next level like that that would be if I was pointing out one strength of his that's what he's going to be able to do there's no doubt about it do you have any concerns about him defensively do you think that's something that if he just puts the effort in that he's going to be serviceable or can he be better than a serviceable defender yeah I I think Paulo kind of got a a really bad rap on defense and I, I think it's a little bit overplayed um he doesn't necessarily have like the greatest steal or block percentage numbers but he um like he, he kind of had it, a security blanket at duke though right because williams back there it's like you know if they get by me i've still got a guy behind me that can you know throw stuff from everywhere so absolutely. i think you know like i i have to think even though there's questions about the defense that that had to play into it right that had to play in the amount of effort that he was given because he knows that he has a guy behind him that's an elite shot blocker yeah, I, I think that, like certainly like he was challenged and, you know, um, I know even like when he was the five, like it wasn't necessarily like the best defensive fit. I've always really liked the way that he moves his feet on defense. And I think that he's like uses his strength really well. And there is a fantastic article um, that we've had at Perspective Insight by Bjorn Zetterberg, who um did analytics in the NBA and he pointed out how Paulo got quite a few of his blocks um, actually on the perimeter and just how well he moved his feet, um, how he would kind of make first contact and how hard it was to move him off of his spot. Um, I, I know that there were certainly like lapses and uh, some off ball things that he needs to work on. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he like, I think over t- like in time, he could be a pretty decent defender as well. I- I'm not sure if he's in the same class as the other two players, but I just think what he does offensively, like as far as the playmaking ability and his ability to, uh, you know, get his own off of the bounce. I-, I think that's what makes him really enticing amongst all of these players this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Mike. I think to me, I think I would have, if I'm my personal ranking, I would have Benchero number one because I think you just talk about offensively, he's just so advanced on that end of the floor. Like you just don't see guys at his age that can score the way he can. And it's just an array of different ways that he can, can score. Um, and, and as you said, I think he can um, it, it, extend his range out to the three point range. I think you saw him knock down three pointers, and I think that's something that he can expound on uh, once he gets into the NBA. Uh, but he's just so skilled in the paint. I mean, just mid-range. I mean, he just do it all. I mean, it reminds you of kind of some of the things that you see, maybe a, a young Carmelo Anthony, just some of the, the, the moves that 
he makes an offense, but I just love what he's able to do offensively. I, I think defense is definitely a question. I don't know if he'll ever be a, a big time defender, but I think he'll be he'll be serviceable. And I think he's gonna be so good offensively that it, it'll kind of make up for some of that. But I think that is a question for him. But to me, he would be number one. I think we're pretty much on the same page except for with with Chet. Like I've I'm just, man, I'm just not a big believer. I, I know I'm probably in, in the minority. A lot of people believe him. I just feel like the physicality is just, just going to be such an issue that it's going to stop him from being able to do some of the things that he does well. Uh, I mean, just like I said, 190, buck 90, buck, buck 95, only 16 to 20 pounds more than John Morant. Like, that's a staggering figure when you're talking about a, a guy who's seven foot tall. Like, I just, I just don't know. Like, we'll, we'll see, man. I might end up being completely wrong. I just think when you delve into the numbers, and, and me and David disagree on this vehemently, he's a big fan of, of Chet. I think some of the, the shooting numbers, people compare him and, and say, okay, well, what about Kevin Durant? What if he's Kevin Durant? And I'm like, he can shoot threes. Like, if you look at the numbers, the percentages look good, but if you look at, break it down and look at the chart chart, he doesn't do much in the mid-range, and if you look at the threes, most of them, the majority of them come at the top of the key, and they're just wide open threes like they're not if any, any almost anytime anybody closes out on him he doesn't react well to that like they're most of the threes he knocks down are wide open i just think in the nba he's not going to get as many of those wide open step in threes so he's not going to be a guy that's just out there working guys on the perimeter and i think that's kind of what a lot of people have said and i just don't know if that's going to be him i think he's going to have to be able to do some stuff in the paint and i just i'm just not sure he's going to be able to with that weight man i in one night, and then and another thing, you've seen other guys come into the NBA extremely light, but they're able to put on weight. But when you look at Chet in his frame, I just don't know how much weight you can put on. Maybe 20, 25 pounds. Maybe he can get up to 220. But anything more than that, I think, could hinder some of the things that he does do well. Uh, like as far as the movement, I think I, I don't think he can put on a lot of weight. And I think if he puts on too much weight, it could be a hindrance on him. I just, I don't know, man. I, I think, especially it depends on what team he goes to. Uh, if, if he's out there on an island by himself at the five and you don't really have any protection, like say he goes to OKC and, and he's starting at center, I just think it's going to be a, a big-time issue. I just don't know how he guards. I think he's going to get pushed off the spots. It, it, I mean, it's going to be tough, man. If, if I end up being wrong, man, I'm old takes exposed is going to be on me tough, man, because I got some some pretty bad tweets out there about my thoughts on him, man. So, so people I've are got be, everyone on the bookmark, baby. I bet you do. I bet you do. But yeah, we'll we'll see, man. But I'm just not a not a big believer, man. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch him at the top of the draft if I was a team draft. And I just think there's too much risk there. Risk with anybody, but I think with him, I think there's more risk than than I'd want to take that high in the draft. David, uh, oh no, sorry, not David. Isaac, um, where would you draft Chet Holmgren? Man, uh, people, I, I've been asked this question before, man, and it's <laughs> that's, that's a tough question. Um, I definitely, I wouldn't take him in the top four. I think I like Banchero, um, I, I like Jay Navi, I like Smith. I would probably even take Matt Durant or, or, or Keegan Murray over him, to be honest. I think after that, I think that's kind of where you get into a range where I would probably be willing to take a risk on him. But again, man, I just, I, I don't. I'm just not a believer. Like, I, I feel like there's a better chance that he never looks like a guy that, that, that you drafted that high. Like, I just don't have a lot of belief in him. And again, man, I might 
end up being totally wrong, but we've just never seen a guy at, at that size, especially one that's not going to be perimeter oriented, the guy that's got to play on the inside, have any kind of success like that. I mean, people yeah. keep, again, want to throw out the Kevin Durant comparison, but he's not going to be well, Kevin yeah. Durant. I so, mean, I mean like, it's not. <laughs> yeah, can I just stop you there with the Kevin Durant stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's clearly that, that's not a comparison. Um, I think for me, like I, I've, I put that out there at one point, but my comparison between the two is in frame only. It's not, I, I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, Chet is not the shooter that Durant is. He, he doesn't handle the ball as well as Durant. He doesn't have the same foot speed. So, you know, like there are people that are comparing saying, oh, well maybe, you know, this yeah. is what he's going to turn into. And in the times that I mentioned, I'm saying in frame only, there were concerns about Durant heading through, like coming through his draft process, if he was going to be able to handle the physicality of the league at his size. And and he's done well. And obviously it's going to be different for Chet, but also Chet has an extremely high basketball IQ and he can do so many other things at a high level. He like, he, he was very far down on the playmaking list at Gonzaga. And, and I think that that's something that you can unlock at the NBA level. He, he has elite passing skills as a big man. And that's something, yeah. you know, like if you, you run a high post with him where he's not really banging down there, like that's something you, you can run a lot of, a lot of stuff through Chet as a playmaker from, from the big man slot. So th- there's a lot of things that can happen for him in order for him to be successful and, and I told Isaac, I'm like, I understand the concerns because of that frame. You haven't really seen anybody in the league like Chet. Like, I would say skill-wise, man, Christoph Porzingis is probably about the only guy yeah. of, of that skill and frame. But Porzingis even, you know, like he, he, was, he had more weight coming into the league. So, you know, yeah. th- th- there's a lot of questions for sure. But I just think the, the unknown upside, like – if Chet puts it all together and he's dominated at every level that he's played. And I know the NBA is a different, it's a whole different beast, but if he gets to the NBA and he dominates at the level that he has at every other level, he could be an elite player. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me just, I kind of wanted to touch on a few things. Um, First off, Kevin Durant was younger than Chet Holmgren coming into the NBA and weighed 20 pounds more. I know he couldn't lift 185 once, but just wanted to throw that out there too. Like <laughs> that, that's how rare Chet's frame is. But the thing I do agree with David on is that his like ball skills and his passing ability, I, I think are both really, really good. Um, the shooting versatility is, I think like, and like, is he doing the same thing? Like Kevin Durant is doing off the dribble, like as far as pull-ups and everything like that, like, no, but um, I, I believe in his touch. And I also think like, even when you're talking about like the physicality of like what he's able to do on offense, like he crushed the NCAA and like the WCC, I know a lot of people point to schedule and say the WCC is not that yeah. good. The WCC was a pretty damn good conference this year. And he played a lot of really good teams. I know he didn't have some great games against like Texas um, but I think overall, like, did very well with that physicality and managed to score in, like, a number of different ways and, like, doesn't have to rely on post-ups also, which I think, like, really plays into, like, a modern NBA offense considering that you have to worry about him out to three-point range. Um, then on, on defense, like, 
this is where I say again, like if you go um, to Perspective Insight and read uh, Bjorn Zetterberg's data tracking that he just released on Chet Holmgren, um, there were some really interesting things with all of the, the blocks that he had. And a lot of them were like with contact. And, you know, he's able to take this contact, use his verticality and still end up getting tons of block shots. Um, mainly with his right hand as Bjorn points out, but I, I think his like timing and what he does as a shot blocker is like just an incredibly rare tool. I know shot blocking isn't necessarily something that like completely translates to the NBA, but usually if you're like somebody along the lines of like a Chet Holmgren there, like that, I, to me, like that is something that he's absolutely going to be able to do and um, you know, make uh, some noise on defense. And um, I, I like, I know uh, you don't necessarily like want Chet, like being on the perimeter or anything like that. But I think at times, like, he has some potential, you know, ability to switch as well. Um, but yeah, you, you likely want him closer to the rim. I, I agree that like Oklahoma city isn't necessarily the best fit if he has to play five, but I, I think like him learning and trying to play the five and like that possibly being like his position playing next to um, somebody like, you know, at the four who can, uh, maybe do a little bit better job like out on the perimeter so Chet could be closer to the basket. Um, I, I think that could really pay off for him uh, down the road. So, yeah, I I think it's – to me, it's just like you you look at all the skills and you look at the statistical profile and uh, I, I it's it's so hard to go against that, even with the, the frame concerns. Man, we'll, we'll see, man. I hate to, to, yeah. to be extremely negative because I've gotten like – to the point where people said I'm like a Chet hater. And it's not that, man. It's just, I'm just being honest with what I see and what I feel. I just yeah. have questions. I think, and I also think that playing next to, to Drew Timmy uh, in your West Coast Conference, that's by far the, the, the best front court in the conference. And you play with my, possibly the best college player out there, one of, one of the top college players. I think that helped protect him. I mean, I, I looked at some of the guys, and I know you said the West Coast Conference was good this year and it was solid but I looked at some of the guys that he was going up against and these guys are like six eight six nine and I know people say oh well you see guys coming out of small conference all the time when we talk about John Moran or or even Damian Lillard coming out of Weber State uh but I think it's a little bit different with Chet because with, with John and Damon you talk about guards and forwards those guys are not uniquely bigger or anything than the guys they're going to get Chet seven one and kind of this unicorn, as they say, and you're going up against kind of six, eight, six, nine, non-athletic guys. I mean, and you also have Drew Timmy next to him. I think I would just be careful, like with some of the the stuff that you saw. I know, I mean, I know he's done it on every level, but I yeah. just think I just have, I just have questions, man. That, that that's all, man. But I got you. But yeah, <laughs> the, and the last thing I'll say is like as I said in my synopsis of chat, he's a killer, man. He really is. Like. I, uh, I, I think like that uh, competitive fire and like he just wants to go out there and do well. And I, I like, I think he lives and, and breathes basketball. I do agree with you that man. you hear comments that he makes. I mean, he basically said, man, he's, he's going to go out and be the best player in the NBA. And I think he, he believes that. So we'll see, man. I, like I said, I, I'm like, I, I hope I'm wrong. Like I never want a, a kid to go into the NBA and just be 
a, a bust or anything like that. I'm not rooting for it to happen. It's just just being honest about what I see. But uh, move, moving on, man, uh, outside of the, kind of the, the top players in the draft, man, who are, are, are some of the guys that, that you like outside of kind of that, that top six? Um, I really like A.J. Griffin. And I think that um, with him, that's like where the shot profile is just like, it, it's really enticing but beyond like he, I think he has a, a, a great frame. Uh, I know there were concerns about his athleticism and obviously his injury history, but he can really shoot the ball. And I, I just think there, there's a lot to unlock there as well. So he, he would be a guy that like, you know, I, I, I would even have like ahead of like a, a Ben Matherin. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I know, <laughs> but yeah, um, he's also like super young. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that, uh, like the shooting profile with AJ Griffin is really, really impressive. Um, I, I, so yeah. Oh, go on, David. Oh yeah. I like that. Uh, you know, he can, he can kind of plug in anywhere. He's the type of player that he doesn't have to have the ball in his hand. You know, he can be an all-fall guy and and play that play to his strengths because his ability to catch and shoot is elite. And mm-hmm. you know, with, with this the length and that, you know, I think that he is going to be a good defender, possibly like a, a plus defender right off of the bat as soon as he gets to the league. There may be a little bit uh, of a learning curve early, but but I think year one that he can be a plus defender. I, I think there's a learning curve. I I, I, th- I think there's still like. You know, I think you kind of have to unlock a little bit of um, that lateral movement and, um, you know, just kind of uh, awareness off ball. But he certainly has tools where I, I think it's it's very workable. Um, and I also like, like, you know, he, his steal rate was pretty bad, but like, you know, he could block some shots um, and, you know, use his length. I, I I know he didn't measure at the combine, but I think he's got a seven foot or so wingspan. Um, and uh, beyond like the catch and shoot stuff, like he can also like make pull-ups and, you know, create some shots for himself too. So yeah. The, and uh, like the frame is just like, that, that's what you're looking for in a NBA wing is that frame. And then his touch is, is just crazy. Um, you'd like to see him get to the basket more, but he shot well around the basket too. Um, you'd like to see him get to the free throw line more, but I, I think he, he has a lot to work with. So he, he's one of my favorite players um, amongst the, the guys out of those top six that you mentioned. Yeah, man, I, I like him a lot. I do think he's a guy that, that might take a little bit of time, but you see a lot of things, like you said, that you like uh, a lot of, things to work with um, that, that projects to, to, to really play in a couple of years. I think he's going to be really good player. Personally, I, I like Matherin better, uh, but I mean, they're, they're extremely close. Uh, but I, I think Matherin is going to be a, a, a big time player. Um, I'm as a, as a, uh, somebody who covers the Grizzlies and, and a fan of the team as well, man, I'm hoping Matherin, the two guys that I don't want to see end up in New Orleans um, in the division, which I think have a good chance of happening, are Dyson Daniels out of the G League and Benedict Matherin. I think they're really good fits for that Pelican team, man. And I think that would make them dangerous because I think they're going to be really good next year anyway. Looks like they're going to be getting Zion back, man. You had 
CJ McCollum late in the season, man, that team's going to be really good. So I, I enjoy not having to have them as a threat for a year, man, but I think they're going to be back next year and probably going to be a problem, not only for the Grizzlies, but in the Western Conference as a whole. Yeah, at the same time, like, I, I think that anybody that uh, New Orleans is likely to draft at eight is at least going to take a little while. So, yeah, you know, down the line, I, I agree with you, but like next year, I, I, I rookies usually take some time, man. Like even like even Dez last year, like you know, took some time before he like was that solid rotation piece, and then he popped off this year, and he was a senior coming out. Yeah. Of so yeah. Wait, I, what? I've got one more guy, that, and Isaac may have more than this, but I, I have one more guy that I'd really like to, to hear your opinion on. With you being um, a, a primarily a high school guy like that, that's pretty much where you focus, right, is high school. Yeah, hey, Shaden Sharp, yeah. He, yeah. he is a guy that's gotten a lot of buzz, you know, climbing up boards all over the place. He signs with Kentucky, he goes there, he doesn't play any, he doesn't play at the Combine. You're seeing videos of him working out. I saw the, the uh, Trailblazers posted a video, saw him doing some great things there. Tell us what we don't know about him. Like, is he going to be able, the stuff that we see in his high school tape, is he going to be able to replicate that at the NBA level? That's a really good question. And I, I think uh, it's like beauty being in the eye of the beholder as far as uh, people drafting Shaden. Um, but like the things that you see with Shaden, I, I think are what makes him really enticing. Like, you know, the fact that he has like legitimate NBA wing size, um, super long arms and that already solid build. Um, still like a, a really young guy. Like he, he ultimately, like what happens a lot with Canadian prospects is they, they get held back a year. And then if they're elite, then what usually ends up happening is they reclassify. Well, Shaden didn't reclassify until late and uh, of course didn't play Kentucky. But the things that I think are, are really enticing with Shaden Sharp um, are like the frame, th that potential like to create his own shot, which I, I think was the reason that he was seen as the top player in the 2022 high school class before reclassifying. Um, and I, I like the tools are, I, I think are, are what are really like, you know, getting teams to, uh, have to consider him in the lottery. Like, I, I think, I just think it, it's what's going to happen. And, uh, like that fluidity beyond like, you know, the top six or seven or so guys, I, I think also helps Shaden as well. Um, I, I, I kind of was feeling like Shaden might go even higher than where he is possibly going at this point. But um, yeah, like I, I think what you see from Shaden in that tape, um, it's definitely like, there are a lot of variables there, but um, it, it, it just, I think many or whatever team drafts him sees him as being more enticing than the other possibilities. So where yeah. where would okay. you draft? I'm sorry, Isaac. I keep talking. Oh, you good? You, man. I, I, <laughs> you good? <laughs> so, so you're a GM. You're in the lottery. At what yeah. spot do you take Sharp? Like, who has to be off the board in order for you to be like, okay, this is my guy? Yeah, I 
I still think he would be somewhere in like the like eight to ten range for me. Okay. And uh, like, yeah, like I, I do like AJ Griffin more. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still there. There are a couple things about Shaden that like worry me a tad, but like I could understand him like as soon as like, you know, six or seven. But uh, yeah, I, I think eight to ten range for me. Um, is what it looks like right now. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's a guy that, that, that that's probably going to take some time because, like you said, he's essentially coming to the NBA out of high school, and it's just kind of hard to evaluate. Uh, I mean, we kind of broke him down on our last podcast, but you're, everything that you're saying is going off of the things that he did in high school. I mean, just you didn't see him do it at the D1 level, so it's kind of hard to know where it translates. Uh, but as you said, I mean, the, the frame is there. I mean, you're talking about uh, a kid who's 6'5", 200 pounds, man, uh, almost a seven-foot wingspan at 6'5", which is, is ridiculous. And the athleticism, the way the explosion, the way that he can explode to the rim. Uh, some of the things you did see on tape is at times he seemed to struggle to get separation um, when, when driving to the basket. And that's kind of what worries yeah, me. Moving forward more so than like like his ability to get that step-back jumper, like I think that that's another thing. And like – when you talk about uh, creating your own shot with Jabari Smith, that's what you're talking about too. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's the, and that's the thing. You hit something on nail on the head with Jabari. That's kind of my concern with him. When we we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, and, and there's no doubt about the shooting ability. There's no question about that. But when you talk about creating your own shot and not, he's not a guy that does a lot at the basket. I kind of where he might be such an elite shooter that, like you said, it doesn't matter. But I, I kind of worry that he could be end up being a little bit one-dimensional. Because, again, man, when you see him drive to the basket, he kind of really struggles. Like, he doesn't lose guys. Um, Jabari Smith talking about him. And we kind of said saw the same thing with, with Sharp. And if you're having trouble getting separation against guys in high school, you kind of wonder what, it, what it's going to be like on the NBA level. But, again, he's going to be a work in progress. That's a lot, lot to like. But if your t- team taking him, you got to be got to be patient. Like, he's not a guy I think that's going to – step in and, and do but for you next year. And, and that's what most of these guys, I, I don't think this is a draft where you're going to have a lot of guys. Like it's rare to have guys like a, like a John Morant that kind of steps in year one is already best player on your team type level. You don't see that a lot. Um, and and I, I'm not sure if any of these guys are going to be that, uh, but I think, I think there's some really good players in this draft. Uh, like I said, Peo Benchero, I think it's going to be a big time, big time score in the NBA. Um, and, and I like a lot of these guys, but again, I don't know if anybody's going to step in and turn the world, world over year one. So, but Satan Sharp is going to be a guy who's going to take some time, and you got to be patient with him. And you could look two, three years down the line, and, and you kicking yourself thinking, as you said, maybe he should have should have gone higher in this draft. Yeah, and uh, it, it's rare to have a draft class like last year's, where you had like a number of guys that were incredibly solid contributors and like an actual race for rookie of the year, which is usually pretty rare, but yeah, it's, I don't know if it's going to be like that in terms of like just impact off of the bat, but there are, there are lots of really good choices. And I I think once you get outside that top group, like Shin Sharp is a name that like was bound to come up and uh, you, you can worry about it. And like, yes, like the majority of the times those worries are, are very warranted, but um, it's 
it's hard to like dock a person just because you haven't seen their film. Like if you really have that belief in them and you think that they have the tools to be this solid player, then I, I think you have to go after it. Man, I know we're running long, but one more guy, one more Pac-12 guy that I want to ask you about is a guy that I really like. Production, look at the numbers. Their numbers weren't don't stand out to you or anything, but it's Dalen Terry um, out of Arizona, combo guard. Um, I, I like him a lot. Grizzlies are sitting there at 22 and 29. Uh, we're all kind of the thought that they're probably not going to stick with both of those picks. But I think if you're looking down the line, we'll see what happens with Tyus Jones. He's a free agent. There's some thoughts that maybe – they might be able to get him on a shorter-term deal. And if you're looking for a guy that you could develop uh, as a backup point guard, I think you could do a lot worse than Dalen Terry. A lot of things that you like, man, 6'7", 200 pounds, a guy at that, that height and that size with, with point guard skills. Um, I, I really like him, man. What are, what are your thoughts on Terry? Yeah, I, I think uh, that's exactly like the selling point with him is how well he passes um, and his defense at that size. And he measured like with great wing size at the NBA draft combine. I, I think yeah, seven, seven push, yeah. the defensive versatility is a huge selling point with him and was a great passer. And like, I, I think he was kind of beyond like them having, you know, Ben Matherin and uh, having um, uh, as Julius Tubelis, like, you know, it, Dale and Terry was kind of like the engine that made that team run and like look like one of the best teams in the NCAA this past year. Um, yeah, has ball skills. Like I, I've heard that there are possibilities he could go like maybe to that Cleveland pick at 14. So yeah, like it, it seems like he's really shooting up draft boards. And uh, the other thing is I, I heard that he was a great interview at the combine as well. Um, so really like sold himself very well looking like a professional kind of guy. The scoring is still something that I think yeah. is long, but just when, when you look at, once you get like out of, you know, the top 10 or so, you're looking for role guys. You're looking for utility players. And Dalen Terry is a guy that might fit that bill. Yeah, man, the playmaking is, I mean, you love what you see there. Uh, the size, the length, uh, rebounds really well as well, man. There's five rebounds a game, um, plays really good defense. The offense, like you said, is, still a work in progress in, in the shooting, but the Grizzlies are a team that don't really need any rookies to come in to play minutes anyway. They have time to be patient with guys. So if they did stick at 22 and 29, man, they can take two guys that might spend some time down with the Memphis hustle down in South Haven and, and, and kind of work their way in uh, over the years. They have time to be patient and wait for guys. So I think he would be a great pick. I, I love what he could potentially turn into at, at that size. I think he could be a, uh, a, a really nice piece for them going forward. Uh, but, man, I know, we, I know we're running a little bit long, man. Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, man. What, what are your thoughts on, on the NBA Finals? Uh, going into game six tomorrow night, man, uh, the Larry O'Brien Trophy will be uh, in, the, in the TD Garden. Uh, will the Warriors close it out tomorrow night or does Boston force a game seven? We can only hope that uh, <laughs> Boston forces a game seven. Uh, no, I, it, I think it's been a great Finals. Um, to me, like, it, it's funny because I, I thought the Warriors just had more offensive firepower and like when you usually have defense versus offense, like, plus the Warriors played good defense and like, it's, it looked like the Warriors were kind of the, the favorite to me. I, I got, um, a little excited after Boston went up two to one, um, 
I, I, it's hard. I don't, I don't know. I guess like I don't have a horse in the race, really. Yeah, same. But at the same time, like the Warriors have won so much that it would just be kind of <laughs> wonderful if they like you know got a. Uh, Got beat by Boston. Um, and I also, like, as you see with uh, the Oregon jersey in the background, um, Peyton Pritchard has a special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, I really like Jason Tatum, even though he's really struggled to score inside the arc in the series. Um, and, like, his ability to create, like, three-point shots for himself and, and his playmaking and defense all, like, spectacular – but scoring inside the arc has really been an issue against this Warriors team. And the Celtics scoring in general um, is something that I worry about. And then you have like Steph basically carrying the Warriors to a couple of their wins. And then last game going six of 20. Yeah, and they were still and able to win. Getting help from everybody else. And, <laughs> and, you know, I just, I think Boston just really like needs to get that help from everybody else. And I, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Um, it's pretty much been like for the most part, Al Horford having the amazing game one, but it's been Tatum, it's been Jalen Brown, it's been Marcus Smart. Um, they need everybody else to chip in on offense. And um, that's why I, I, th- I have a feeling that the Warriors close it out tomorrow. Um, but I, I'd love to see this series go seven games because I, I know after uh, the first four games, I think like, if you took the combined score of the series, the Warriors were up like one point, which like, that's pretty incredible. So uh, yeah, which also leads me to wonder if there's ever been an NBA finals winner that has scored fewer points than the other team. But um, (laughs) yeah, I I just, uh, I thought that was a a really cool statistic. Um, The other thing I will say is that Stephen Curry is, if the Warriors do win, um, will be the NBA Finals MVP. And uh, Andrew Wiggins has played exceptionally well in the last two games. Um, but come on, guys. Like, why are we even having this narrative again? <laughs> he should have won it in 2015. And, um, you know, I, I think Kevin Durant should have won both of his. But, yeah, like Stephen Curry, I think, is going to win his first Finals MVP. Yeah, man, it, it's been a fantastic series. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It, for me, and I picked Warriors in seven going into the series, but it's weird because I personally feel like Boston is the better team. I just it, – it, it's tough. You, you, you pick pick against them when you say they're the better team, but I, I just always felt like the Warriors are going to win. We're going to win the series. I think they Boston finds a way to get it done tomorrow night. I think they – the game seven that might be my hard thinking more than my head uh but it's been a tremendous series i think we're kicking ourselves here in memphis because i fully believe and when you bring this up warriors fans like oh man you're just making excuses i i really do believe that if john Morant doesn't get hurt i mean you had a lot of things going on desmond bain was hobbled for like the four, first four or five games of the series um you had steven adams missing the first few games and then even when he came back he was got hurt in that game in the second half he had an oxygen mask. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, Dylan Brooks missing a couple games in the series. If things, Grizzlies, Grizzlies, all that stuff doesn't happen, I really do think the Grizzlies win that series. And I fully believe that. And I think we would have had a, a Grizzlies Warriors, uh, Grizzlies Boston NBA Finals series. And I think the Grizzlies could have won a title this year. And I know like, a lot of people outside of Memphis think that's 
Homer talk, but I, I really do believe that. But, uh, again, man, I think for the Grizzlies, they're, they're just getting started. I think they're going to be more opportunities down the line. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people say you believe in the fact that you have to take your lumps. I don't necessarily believe in that. I think if you're good enough to win it, I think they could have possibly done that this year, man. But we'll see what happens going forward. But, man, kind of what, what are your thoughts on the Grizzlies this season and, and, and kind of their day body at work? Oh, I just – I love what uh, the front office has done in making the Grizzlies team. Like, I just think uh, they've made some really savvy moves, great picks. Uh, John Morant is a guy that, like, you know, it was hard not to like him before the draft, but uh, he's, I think, uh, exceeded expectations to, uh, like, become one of the better players in the NBA. Um and one of the more fun players to watch as well. Um, now, like Jaron Jackson Jr., I think took a, a huge step defensively. You'd like to see him maybe do a little bit more uh, on offense. Desmond Bain is like that real like second scorer for them. And like, I, you just kind of wonder where his ceiling is at this point, but just so solid. And that shooting specialist that the Grizz were desperately looking for. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just like the rest of the team kind of construction, but um, it, it, they've done really well in player development. What do you guys think of Zaire Williams? Because I, I thought, he, like, you know, I, I'm sure that uh, people had a lot to say about that pick, but I, I thought he showed some really good flashes in his rookie season and uh, looks like he, he's going to be like a contributor for them. Yeah, and man, then, I, I think. I was going to say, neither, neither one of us and most people here in Memphis, neither David or I were a big fan of that pick at the time, man. We were evaluating all the draft prospects, and you got to look at that weird year that he had at, at Stanford, man. Had some COVID issues within the family. They didn't play – Stanford themselves didn't play a full season. I think they played that full season away from home. It was just all kind of weird stuff going on, and he just didn't have a production, so you just didn't know. Uh, but apparently the Grizzlies had keyed in on him. I mean, you talked to Zach Kleiman and – Listen to what he said. It was a guy that they liked going all the way back to high school. Um, and they mm. made that move uh, and trading Jonas Valanciunas to New Orleans, who was a big-time fan favorite here. Their idea was to jump up to get Zaire Williams. They didn't feel like he was going to be there. I think they had 16, which they were really originally going to pick. Um, and they came out and got their guy. And they showed even from the beginning, even when he was like a deer in the headlights there earlier in the season. And Taylor Jenkins and his staff, stuck with him. He uh, had him in a rotation even probably when he should have been, and I think that paid off down the line. I mean, I don't think anybody thought back in October you would see Zaire Williams playing 19, 20 minutes in, in a high-level, high-leverage playoff series and playing winning productive minutes um, in a playoff series. So I'm, I'm excited. I think you saw the Grizzlies kind of take uh, Desmond Bain and kind of give him the keys in summer league and kind of put him on the ball and let him kind of run that team. I think we're going to see the same thing out in Vegas. This summer, I think they're going to give Zaire Williams a lot of responsibility and just kind of go out there and let him work. Um, and I think that's going to do wonders for his confidence, just like it did Bain. And I, I expect him to take even another leap next year, man. I couldn't be any more happy to be wrong on that one. Yeah, it looks like a really good pick. Um, I love the Brandon Clark pick from a few years ago, and I thought in the playoffs, like, he looked really good. And uh, so, yeah, like, people talking about him as being more of, like, the 16-game guy than the 82-game guy, which is not a terrible thing to have. Um, but I, I just think, you know, solid contributing player as well. And um, 
yeah, I, I, the other guy that I, I think has been just like great when, uh, you know, Jaw was out and um, like a just such a good utility guard to have is D'Anthony Melton. And uh, I, I thought that was a great signing by the Grizz. And like, it was great to trade for him a few years ago. And uh, yeah, I, I just think um, depth wise, it, it's been really cool what the Grizz have been able to do. Um, yeah, you wonder how like that Adams, Jaron Jackson, like Brandon Clark front court is going to work. And then uh, the development of like a, a Xavier Tillman also, who was getting like some serious minutes. But uh, just like when you mentioned all of those guys, like they're all so young, <laughs> which is really yeah. cool. And, like you guys were the second best record in the league this year. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, it, amazing. And like, I don't know what happened when Jaw was out. Like that, that yeah, <laughs> stuff with the record. Like I think they're obviously a better team with John Morant. Um, but yeah, still like it was just incredible what the Grizz were able to do. Um, I don't think anybody expected them to be the number two seed in, in the Western Conference and uh, the second best record in the league. What were like? Did you guys have like close to this expectations for this team this year? Like. Did you think they were possibly NBA Finals contenders going into the season? No, no, I, I no. <laughs> not at all. Not I think close. That, like we, we've yeah. talked about that a number of times. How we thought that you know if they could just avoid the, the play-in, like yeah. five or six seed, and maybe maybe win the first round, or, or you know, like ha- have a, a very competitive first round series, that we would be happy with that. So yeah, I, I think that you know Xavier Tillman had a um, an interview where he talked about they know that they have to step up when John ja Morant is out. And I wish they could find a way for those guys to play with the same type of energy <laughs> and Man. confidence that they do. Like when Ja's out, it's like they find another level within themselves. And if that ever clicks where that other level, when Ja is out, is there, whenever Ja is there, this team is dangerous. And, and that's, uh, yeah. you know, Taylor Jenkins and this coaching staff, they, they've done a fantastic job. And I hope, you know, throughout this offseason and moving into the next season, they're able to unlock that. Yeah. So what are they going to do with uh, Kyle and Tyus? Yeah, I don't see there's any way that that both of them are back. I I would love to see them re-sign Tyus Jones because I I think that he is more valuable to the Grizzlies than any other team. And not that he won't be valuable anywhere else. I I think that he can go and be a starter in in a few places, but – with, you know, John Morant and the, the way that he plays, the way that he, you know, he explodes off the floor, the way that he lands, there's always going to be injury risk. And when you shift from John Morant to Tyus Jones, you don't have to change the way you run your offense because Tyus, you know, it's just like a plug and play type thing. And the fit is fantastic. So my hope, I don't know that I expect this to happen, but my hope is that they re-sign Tyus Jones and may, maybe Kyle agrees to a team-friendly deal and sticks around. But, uh, yeah, I expect maybe one of them, but but not not both of them to come back for next season. They're both yeah. great role players, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah it's I, so nice having them off the bench, man, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, it'd be super important for this team. I mean, if Kyle gets, gets some hate I uh, hear from, from Grizzlies fans, but, I mean, he's stepped up time and time again. Like, I remember I – remember, beginning of last year when when Ja went down I mean he stepped in and kind of led this team uh for for a few weeks there was really really good and even times now I mean he just he's just a winning basketball player 
plays good minutes, not going to do a lot of flashy things for you, but just a good, good, solid basketball player. And Ty is just means everything. Like, this team wouldn't have been in position that they were without Tyus Jones. I mean, when, when John Morant, you miss 20-plus games, he comes in and, and just seamlessly keeps this thing going, man. Team able to continue to win games, and a lot of that has to do with him. Um, personally, I think I, I would be surprised if Tyus is back. I just think there's going to be some team that's going to offer him a number of years for four years maybe, and I don't know if the Grizzlies are going to want to do four years. Uh, I, might, I think if the, if the Grizzlies, if he's back, I think it's going to be on a shorter-term deal like a two-year deal. And if I'm Tyus, and I wouldn't blame him, I, I wouldn't take that if I could get more security and possibly a starting job. So he's earned it. There, there's no doubt about that, man. A fantastic se- season, his best season in NBA. So I think he's going to try to cash in if he can. But we, we're all hoping that, that he's back here in Memphis. Because I think he's a big, big part of this team, this culture, what they do, um, and, and, and that next man up mentality, man. He was kind of the leader of that. So it, it would be a loss if they lose him. And with Kyle, I think it's going to come down to – do the Grizzlies want him back? Because I think if they want him back, I think he'll be back. Because I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to break the bank or anything on free agency. I don't think there's going to be just a, a whole lot of teams throwing money at him. So if they want to keep him, I think they can keep him. And, and I think he probably wants to be here. Um, I mean, he owns a house here. You talk about the guys on the team. He's one of the guys on the team that bought a house here and kind of made a home here. I mean, you even see him out at local high school football games stuff on Friday night. So he's kind of ingrained in the culture. I think I, I got a feeling that Kyle will be back if the Grizzlies want him back. So I think that's kind of where they are on both of those guys. Yeah, I would just I would think there's a market for both of them out there. Like that that's my thing. But yeah, like also they're in a great situation and you know what they do for the team, like that that has to be really nice too. So I'm sure that'll be a factor as well. Yeah, people people talk about culture. Um and it's kind of a cliche thing, but with this team it, it's real. Um, and I think that's another testament to, to Taylor Jenkins and, and what he's built here. Who recently got an extension a couple of days ago, um, mm-hmm. which we're all happy about that. I think well-deserved. I personally think he should have been coach of the year. I mean, I understand why money got it, but if, if you look at the expectations for the Grizzlies that we just talked about, for them to finish with the second best record in the league, especially with the tremendous amount of injuries they had, you, you got to give him a crazy amount of credit for that. Uh, but I think the culture – Grizz culture is a real thing. I mean, you saw it with Miami, um, and I think it's kind of the same thing here. These guys love each other. I mean, they love playing with each other. It, it's not a, a a fake thing for for the cameras or anything like that. These guys hang out out, out off the court, and, and they just love playing for one another. And I think that's one of the reasons why when guys go down, they continue to play well because they just play so well as a unit. And again, man, that's just a testament to Taylor Jenkins, man. But I know we've – We've kept you long, man, man. Before we get you out of here, man, let, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, NBA Draft Mikey V. My DMs are open if you ever want to reach out and talk basketball. Um, I, I can't recommend enough. Follow at underscore pro insight. And um, I've been also working and doing a draft class. Uh, we call it the NBA Draft Cohort. Um, at get in the game 101, which is run by John Ross, who um, was a video coordinator for the Portland Trailblazers for 15 years. He um, made this course to go through the NBA draft process and talk about possibly getting jobs in basketball. I've been lucky enough to be part of that. So definitely follow Get In The Game 101. Uh, I'm hoping to be part of more of John's classes. And um, he has one coming up that is going to be talking about uh, 
NBA Summer League and just the off-season process as well. So, yeah, plug in all of those. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Definitely, man. We always enjoy, enjoy your insight, man. Definitely, definitely going to reach out again and have you back on, man. One of my favorite guests to have on the show, man. Always enjoy Enjoy talking with you, man. We could we could talk all night, man. I hate to have to, to cut it off here, man. But I know we can't can't keep you forever, man. But definitely, definitely enjoy talking talking basketball with a, a fellow hoop head. Absolutely, and it, let's not make this like a year thing, guys. Like, like I, I'm I'm happy to talk to you much sooner. And uh, if you wanted to talk after the draft or during summer league, I, I would love to. So yeah, thank you as always for having me on the podcast. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Guys, we appreciate you tuning in. We are going to wrap it up. We, we thought we were going to do prospects, but uh, we went a little long with Mikey V here. So we'll make this the episode. You can get the show on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. Candace is at CandaceH901. I'm at David W2111. Isaac is going to let you know where you can find him and get us out of here. Yeah, man. We're supposed to do those prospects, man. But time flies when you're having fun. You have great guests like. Mike Weisenberg on the show, man. But you can find him on Twitter at NBA Draft Mikey, uh, my NBA Draft Mikey V. So make sure you check him out. And so Pro Insights as well, man. Good stuff over there. But but you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore Rivals. It's I-S-A-A-C underscore Rivals, man. Make sure you go over to at Ethos Grizzlies. Give us a like and a follow. Appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone for tuning in. Uh, we're definitely going to continue our draft coverage, uh, breaking down more prospects at the draft. It's closer to next Thursday night, man. It's going to be here, man. Time time is flying by, man. After that, we're going to have Summer League, VHC, and all kind of crazy stuff going on. Man. So make sure you keep it locked right here. Um, and until next time, we go. And that will conclude our Sports Ethos presentation. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.